You know, in honor of Father's Day, I thought I would tell you my worst father story ever. And here's how it went. When my daughter was about to turn 16, my wife and I were talking about getting her a used car. And so we were looking around. I was just doing some shopping, trying to find something for around $5,000, not too much money. And so as I'm looking, one of the men from our church called me. He knew I'd been looking for a car. And he said, Keith, I think I have a great deal for you. He said, I have a little BMW Z3 convertible that I'd like to sell you. Now, if you know that little sports car convertible, here's what happened. He, he, he owned a business, and a man owned him some money, owed him some money, but the man didn't have the money, so he bartered and said, here, take my car, and we'll call it even. And so now my friend who goes to my church has this car that he needs to sell to try to get the cash. I looked at that thing, and I thought, you know what? Maybe the pastor needs a new car, not the daughter on that one. And so I went ahead and got that thing. She wasn't turning 16 for a couple of months, and, and I just drove it around. I want you to know, I was the best-looking pastor driving around town in that Z3 that you could ever imagine. But after about two or three weeks of driving that car, while I was loving it, the wisdom of a father finally kind of checked in. I thought, this is probably not the best car to give a 16-year-old. She needed more like a Tonka truck than a little Z3 BMW. And so I decided I probably should sell that, take the money, and then buy something else. And so I went on Craigslist, and there's a whole bunch of cars for sale. I listed that little car there. I cleaned it up. I'm kind of hoping maybe I can even make some money off of it because it was such a nice car. And lo and behold, within a day, I'm getting all these different hits and, and contacting from people wanting to buy that car. And so the one I followed up that seemed the most promising, we began talking back and forth, and he was really, really interested in the car. He was asking all these questions about it. I'm like building this car up thinking the price is going higher and higher and higher. And so he and I agreed to meet the next day at Costco, which just happened to be next door to the church where I was working, and we were going to make this selling the car at that time. And so I went and got it, you know, washed and buffed and shined up because I'm thinking I don't want to get there and him try to talk me into a lower price. So I get to the, the parking lot at 2 o'clock like we're supposed to at Costco. The tops dropped. I'm sitting in and I'm just like, I am ready to make some money off this car. And as I sit there, all of a sudden I hear from back behind me, Fort Worth police, hands up, Fort Worth police. It turned out that my friend from my church that sold me that car he didn't realize that the car was stolen. And the person that I was interacting with was an undercover policeman from the Fort Worth Police Department. He was trying to recover stolen goods. I had no idea. I turned around that day, and there must have been a half a dozen to a dozen policemen, guns drawn, ready to shoot the pastor who works next door to Costco. I throw my hands up. Hands up, Fort Worth Police. I throw my hands up, and I'm freezing there for a second. And they say, we need you to get out of the car. And after I kind of relaxed for a second, I thought, I know this is a used car, so you can't open it from the inside. The only way I could open it was to reach over and around, and I thought, they're going to think I'm doing something fishy. I'll be dead before I get out of this car if I do that. So finally, I get out of the car. The moment I got out of the car, one of the policemen just bull rushed me, knocks me to the ground. Before I know it, he has the pastor of the church next door in the Costco parking lot, handcuffed on his knees, sitting in the parking lot. And if that's not bad enough, as I'm looking around, every person walking by has their phone out and they're taking a video to turn into America's Most Wanted. It was the worst day of my life. The circumstances of this day just got worse and worse and worse. Usually as a pastor, I can talk my way out of something. He didn't enjoy humor. He didn't enjoy prayer. He wanted nothing from me at that time. I must have sat in that parking lot on my knees, handcuffed with everybody walking by for at least 
five minutes to eternity. I don't know how long it lasted. I'm sitting there thinking, not only will I spend the rest of my life in jail, I'm going to be fired from my job as a pastor also. So finally, they put me in the police car. Okay, they hauled me to the police station. They didn't ask me if I wanted something to drink in the police car. I turned the air conditioning up. They kept me handcuffed. I am arrested at this time, taken to jail. Um, as, as we get in the car, he takes my phone from me because it was evidence, he said, since we'd been interacting, texting with one another. As it, my phone's up in the front seat, we're driving down the street to go to the police station, and I hear my text, the noise that comes from my wife. Wah, wah, wah. So I knew she was texting something. I had no idea at that point what she texted me. We get to the police station. He takes me down this long hallway, just like law and order, puts me at a steel table with a steel light bulb over me, and he sits down and says, now we need to know everything. Do you want something to drink? I thought, you're just trying to get my DNA. There's no way I'm going to take a drink out of your cup right here. I've watched too much TV to know how this happens. So we end up talking about 20, 30 minutes. I explain the whole story. He calls the man I bought the car from, and he realized, okay, there really was a mistake. I had no idea it was stolen. So finally, I get let loose. When I got my phone to see what my wife texted when the policeman who had arrested me looked at it, guess what she texted me? Because she knew I was selling the car. The text read, how'd the deal go down? It was the worst circumstances I could ever, ever imagine. The only person that felt worse with me, can you imagine my friend who goes to the church that sold me the car? I don't think he came to church for the next six months. He was so embarrassed about all of that. Now, I share that story. I share that story with you. The circumstances of that story just got worse and worse and worse. Now, we can look back now and laugh. And we can not just laugh with Keith. We can laugh, laugh at Keith with those circumstances and that story. But here's what I know. There are many, probably most of us in this room, that are going through some kind of circumstances in life right now that they're not humorous. They're not ones that you think you'll ever look back at and laugh at. They are serious consequences and serious circumstances you're going through. It could be the job you're in right now, that you go to work every day and you come home more stressed, more worn out, more overworked than you ever have before, but yet you feel like that paycheck is just getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And your circumstances are just thinking, I can't quit this job, but how am I going to last and survive in this job? That could be your circumstances. Maybe your circumstances are not work. Maybe they're health-related. That some of you right now are going through some health problems, and it's not just something you can take a pill and be better next week, that these are new health problems that you're having to adjust your life to. And so it's circumstances that you're just going, they feel so overwhelming. Or maybe they're not your health problems, but maybe they're a family member that you're having to help take care of. Maybe it's circumstances that are, seem overwhelming because it's a relationship that you're in that you wish you weren't in. Or a relationship of someone just doing some things that just you know aren't right, but there's nothing you can do to correct or to corral that person in the right direction. We all have circumstances of some sort. And we began a new series last week, and the series is called Whatever, but we're looking at the book of Philippians in the New Testament. And the book of Philippians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, and here's what the Apostle Paul was trying to do as he wrote this, this letter to, to his friends in Philippi. He was trying to help them find joy in all parts of life. And the area that I want us to look at today is trying to find joy when our circumstances aren't what we want them to be. And I just need to say right up front here, okay, I'm the preacher up here, and I'm going to share some things with you, and we're going to look at the Apostle Paul, what he said about finding joy in circumstances. Please don't think for one point that I'm up here and I'm joyful in all my circumstances. This is one of those sermons that I'm living in the middle of it with you. 
there are six situations and circumstances in my own life that I just look and I just sometimes pray, God, where are you in the middle of this? God, why are you doing it this way when I think you should be doing it this way? And I'm not finding joy in all of my relationships. But I do know this, if I'm ever to find joy, if you're ever to find joy in the middle of your circumstances, it will be through God's word and what God teaches us, not what we try to do in our own. And so for that reason this morning, I want us to look at the second half of the first chapter of the book of Philippians. We'll be starting in verse 12, and we're going to learn what the Apostle Paul says about finding joy in difficult circumstances. And here's what he says in the first chapter 1, verse 12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters. Now remember, he's writing a letter not to a group of strangers that he's trying to give them this great wisdom that he has. He's writing a letter to some of his very best friends. Paul had spent some time in the, in the city of Philippi several years earlier, and he had really just, like, these are lifetime best friends. And he knew that they were struggling through some things. They knew he was struggling through some things. His whole heart is to go, and, can I help you find joy? Not to shake my finger at you because you're not doing it right, but can I help you find joy? So he says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And when he wrote in there, what has happened to me, if you and I have bad circumstances, I have a gut feeling that the Apostle Paul's circumstances might have been twice, three times, four times as bad as ours. Because over the last three years of his life, before he wrote this letter, he had been falsely accused of a crime, he had been illegally arrested, he had been beaten in the street, he had had his life threatened, he had been placed in jail for several years, and in his jail, when his life was threatened, they had to move him to a different jail, and to get there, they had to go by ship. Well, while his ship was going from this jail to this jail, it was shipwrecked. When he got off the ship and they all made it to shore, barely alive in their own terms there, he reached down and a snake bit him. So it just got worse and worse and worse. And so Paul is not writing from some, some hoity-toity place, some way up in the clouds, just going, look at me, everything's good. His life was as bad as you and I could ever imagine. But he said this, but what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. You know what the difference in Paul and me is? You know what the difference in Paul and maybe you is? Paul's circumstances were never something he looked at completely just on their own. He always filtered his circumstances through Jesus. And he viewed his circumstances through the eyes of Jesus. The problem that I make in my life, and I'll just be as confessional and raw and real with you right now as I can, too many times I take the reverse approach. I view Jesus through my circumstances. If Jesus really loved me, this wouldn't be happening to me. If he really cared about me, he would make it happen another way. But Paul had the right perspective. He always viewed his circumstances through Jesus rather than viewing Jesus through his circumstances. And then he goes on to write in verse 13. He says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Let me give you a little bit better description of his time in jail right now. He was actually in maybe a little bit better situation in prison. He was in house arrest which meant that he had to stay in this one particular house. Other prisoners were assigned to this house, but he was chained, chained to a prison guard the whole time. So wherever he went in the house, he had the freedom. He wasn't locked in a 10 by 10 cell. He could go to this room or that room. He could actually even have people come over to visit him. But wherever he went, the guard that was assigned to him was chained to him. If he went to the kitchen, there was the guard. 
If he went to the living room, there was the guard. If he went to his bedroom, there was the guard. I'm guessing if he went to the restroom, there was his guard chained to him. I want you to stop for a second and think about this. Isn't that how circumstances feel sometimes? Chained to us. That no matter where we go, no matter where we look, we can't get away from this, the difficulties that we're having in life. And I don't care if it's house arrest or not, that still feels like prison, doesn't it? That it is chained to you. But here's Paul's perspective. He goes, it may be chained to me, but I'm not chained to my circumstances. He says, I am in chains for Christ. What Paul said is, when I look at my circumstances, God has given me these to me. I've stepped into these. I am chained, but it's for his glory, not my benefit that I'm chained up. Sometimes I wonder, and I look at the circumstances and the situations that I'm going through in my own life, and I wonder if I looked at them and thought, this is for Jesus, that that might help me through my circumstances. That might help me view them and look at them, have a different perspective as when I think about them. And then Paul goes on to say this, Philippians chapter 1, verse 5, 15. It is true that some preach, I'm sorry, let me back up to 14. And because of my change, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And so what was going on is because as Paul was chained to this guard, he would always preach the gospel. In fact, we can pretty much know this. When the guard looked at him, they didn't look at some convict that was being tried for something that he shouldn't have been tried for. They were looking at somebody that was been changed by God. And so his confidence as he went around his house, as he talked to the guards, as he lived out his faith instead of being just eaten up by the circumstances, he was giving God all the glory because of his circumstances. All the other Christians were finding confidence because of his faith. And I've never thought about that till I read this week. When I'm going through something, it is as much for what God wants to do in me as he wants to do through me. Whatever you're going through right now, maybe God is allowing you to walk through it, to experience what you're going through, because your faith in trusting Jesus as you walk through that circumstance could be the very thing that helps encourage somebody else. And so what God is setting up is just not a playing field for you to play on by yourself. God is setting up a playing field for all the brothers and sisters, all the followers of Jesus, and we're in this together. And then he goes on and says this, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. And so there's a situation going on. The followers of Jesus that were outside the house arrest, those that that had their freedom, there were some that would see what Paul was going through and they would gain confidence from him. Their faith would grow because of him and it gave them more confidence to preach the gospel on their own so that God would get the glory. But there were others in the free world that weren't as motivated for the right reasons as those. In fact, Paul references them. He says, there's those out there that they're preaching for their own benefit. And what we can best suspect what's going on here is for whatever reason, there were some out in the free world that still didn't like Paul. And so they're preaching the gospel, but their motivation was not for God to get the glory. It was really for Paul to have a more difficult time in prison than he was already experiencing It was almost like they were like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And while I'm doing it, I just want to heap more bad news and more bad stuff and more bad stuff on Paul while he's in jail. Now, I don't know about you. If somebody does me that way, they get to see the other side of Keith, right? 
I mean, like if your motivation is to make my life bad, if your motivation is to take my difficult circumstances and make them more difficult, we got something to talk about. In fact, I'm not just going to talk to you about your face. I'm going to talk to every single person I know what horrible things you're doing. I'm going on social media. I'm going to email. I'm going to let the whole world know what a bad person you are. But Paul took a different approach. He said, here's the deal. Even though they are preaching with the wrong motivation, at the very end, the gospel gets preached. Even if their hearts aren't, aren't right, people know about Jesus. Paul had such amazing positive perspective towards his circumstances and anybody involved in his circumstances he's simply saying this one it's not about me it's about the gospel being preached it's about people seeing a clear picture of who jesus is and if that happens whether it's good bad indifferent it's okay because jesus the gospel gets preached here's a question for us this morning is that our approach to our circumstances Again, when I look at my circumstances, I'm more concerned about me than I am the gospel. And when we become more concerned about ourselves than the gospel, we will never find joy in our circumstances. Because circumstances are negative, right? That's what we're upset about. That's what we don't like about life. The negative circumstances about my, are in my life. For some reason, I have this idea of thinking, God, you put me on this earth and, earth, and shouldn't I have just a wonderful, beautiful, no problem life? But that's not the way it works, is it? But when things don't go that way, I put my arms together, I pout, and I spiritually wonder, God, what are you doing? And what Paul was saying is this one. I'm not crossing my arms and I'm not pouting. I'm raising my hands and I'm glorifying God because, God, what I see that you're doing is glorifying your name. Then he goes on to, to say some more in verse 18. He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. See that joy word in there? Our whole series, this, this whole summer, is to find joy in every part of our life. And Paul's saying, when my life can point to Jesus, that's where I find the joy. And so that question remains, is our life, as we're going through our difficult circumstances, is it pointing to Jesus? And then he went on in verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now here's what I know about the apostle Paul. When he writes on there, will turn out for my deliverance, we automatically think, oh, he's really confident. He's gonna get out of jail, okay? No more jail, he's free. He's not necessarily talking about earthly deliverance. He's looking down the road beyond earthly deliverance. At this point in his life, Paul didn't know if he would die in jail and, and, and be martyred or he would go on living out of jail. But he knew for a fact one thing, that he would be delivered. His eyes were down the road eternally as much as it was earthly. So that's good news for us today. No matter what our circumstances are, we will be delivered. It might be delivered on this earth, or it might be delivered in the next life, but we can have the same confidence that Paul did is we will be delivered. Yet here's my confession. And like I said, this is more of a confessional than a sermon for you today. I am so, so, so many times focused on my life here that I can't see the eternal perspective that God is seeing in my life. Right now, Denise and I are living east 
And so every morning when I come to work, I come down to Arapahoe about 10 miles, and I'm heading west, and I see the mountains every, every day. And they are beautiful. I'm wondering my, to myself, will you ever get over looking at the majesty and the beauty of those mountains? Last Sunday, we were coming to church, and I'm driving, and I'm just thinking of you people, and I'm thinking of Jesus, and I'm praising God, and I'm seeing the mountains, and I'm just, I'm focused on the mountains. And all of a sudden, I hear this, Keith, Keith, stop, stop. I forgot to look for the stoplight between us and the mountains. And thank goodness Denise was looking, and she sees the light turning red. She's going, stop, stop, stop. I'm glad I have an observant wife, and I'm glad that I have a loud wife, because I might not be here today if it wasn't for her. But there's this moment I'm going, God, that was bad driving, but that's good living. Because somehow I was so looking at what's out there, I wasn't focused on the things right here. And if you and I could take that approach to life, that we're going, Jesus, we see you, and we're just looking towards you, and we're not looking what's here, that would keep us going. That's our deliverance right there. And then in verse 20, Paul goes on to say, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. And then he says in verse 21, a famous verse. If you memorize verses, this is a great one to put in your, in your tool chest. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, if, if, if we could interview Paul while he was under house arrest, we're going, Paul, what would you like? What would be the best? He's going, the best? Let me go be with Jesus, okay? Life doesn't get much better than that because these circumstances, whether it's jail or snake bites or health or work problems, they all go away. Heaven's going to be wonderful. He goes, if I die, I get Jesus. That's the best. But he said, you know what? To live is also Christ. Because as I live in and with and through my circumstances, Others continue to see this clear picture of who Jesus is in my life. So basically he's going, if I live, it's good for you because you get to see Jesus. If I die, it's good for me because I get to go be with Jesus. And it's like he's tossed him up. He's going, I don't know. To, to, to live is, is, is Christ and to die is gain. Which one do I take? And then he goes on in verse 22. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. There's something that's hidden there I want you to see. Who's he, if he stays, Jesus is his ultimate focus, but who's he focused on if he stays through his circumstances? Other people. Now I'm weighing others or me. And I'm so focused on me and so many times in my circumstances that I'm missing the joy for me and the others are missing that same joy as well. That I would do better in my circumstances to keep my eyes on Jesus and keep my eyes on those around me. But I feel like in my circumstances, I just go look in the mirror going, poor, 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 pitiful me. Look at me. My life is so bad and I'm looking so much in the mirror that I don't see anybody or anything else but Paul had the right perspective he was looking at Jesus and he was looking at others and then he goes on in verse 25 convinced of this I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and your joy in the faith so that through my being with you again your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me 
Verse 27, whatever happens, there's that word, our theme, our series, whatever. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. You know the deliverance we talked about? He knows he's in the ultimate deliverance. What he doesn't know is what tomorrow holds. But he's given encouragement to the Philippians there. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. You know the thing he's talking about right here? There's two sides to this when it comes to circumstances. There's our response and our reaction. Response, I think about, is a little bit more long-term. Okay, so this is going on. We need to make these adjustments. We need to do this. I need to start thinking this way. It's a little bit more calculated in how we approach our circumstances. But there's our reaction, and that's your, just your instant. How do, you, how do you react to it? That is what your emotions say for the moment. What do you start talking to people about? How do people just perceive you when they walk into the room with you? I don't know about you, I can control my responses many times much better than my reactions. But it's in my reactions that I've learned that people get the best, the worst taste of Jesus from my life. Because I think people are looking at us as followers of Jesus going, hey, if you have all this faith in God that he's going to, you know, just be with you and he's going to be with, with you all the time. They're looking to see how you react when something comes your way. I had to take my Jeep into the dealership yesterday. The alarm kept going off at just crazy times. Every couple hours, just rah, rah, rah. So I had to take it in. I went into the, to the local one really close to my house. And the guy said, yeah, you'll need to bring it in here in three or four days so we can look at it. I'm going, do you understand? The alarm goes off at inopportune times. I can't wait three or four days. He goes, well, that's all I can do for you. Now, here's the deal. I probably went in a little bit entitled you ever feel that way in the dealership? Okay, like I paid you a lot of money for this car and I need to know the right answer. I'm like, well, okay, so, but can you, can we disengage the, my alarm? And he's like, I don't know how to do that. And I said, excuse me, I'm just going to tell you, I started stepping into my reaction mode, not the Jesus mode, not the Holy Spirit mode, the reaction mode. No one else has ever been there, but I'll go ahead and confess for the rest of us right here. I'm like, well, doesn't it say service technician on your badge right there? And it was like slow motion. I could feel right now that whatever's about to happen, and I'm thinking of this verse, conduct yourselves worthy of Jesus Christ, the gospel. I'm going, I'm stepping into the no-no zone, but I need to be staying over here. And he's like, well, I'm a service technician, but I wouldn't know what to tell you. I said, well, could you find another service technician? <laughs> and he's like, nope, can't do it. I was like, well, should I just take my car to another dealership? By right now, I'm like, oh, is that what I need to do? And he looked at me and said, do whatever you want to do. And I'm thinking, I need to walk out of here right now before I get thrown in jail for the second time of my life when it comes to cars. But I walked out of there, and here's what I was thinking through. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves worthy in a manner worthy of the gospel. And I don't think at that moment, I kind of put the whatever, and it was more about Keith and what I wanted than what I needed to do for Jesus at that moment. It's our reaction where people really see the clarity of Jesus in our lives. And then when the, he said this, went on to say, then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you will stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. And then he ends in those last few verses. He says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that you'll be destroyed, but that, that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Let me read that again. 
This is not my commentary. This is straight from the Apostle Paul was saying. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Somehow when we hand in and we get our salvation card, we think we get to hand in our suffering card. That as a follower of Jesus that we shouldn't have to suffer. Everything should be rosy red because we have Jesus. And here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. You get the privilege of not only believing in Jesus, you get the privilege of suffering for Jesus. Let's, let's face facts here. Every person in the world, whether you believe in Jesus or not, we're going to suffer one way or the other. We'll have circumstances that don't go our way. We'll have tragedies in our life that we never wanted. We'll have health problems that we never signed up for. We'll have difficulties in our job and relationships. We will all have some kind of suffering. What distinguishes us from us and the world who doesn't know Jesus is the suffering and how we embrace that suffering. Because in embracing our suffering, embracing our circumstances, instead of fighting and being mad all the time about it, going, God, how can you use this in my life for you to be glorified? And so the Apostle Paul was saying, if you want joy in your life when circumstances are difficult, you must embrace the suffering that comes with that. doesn't mean we have to go looking for it. It doesn't mean we have to sign up and volunteer for it. But when it comes, because it will come, we need to know, and this is part of following Jesus. And then he says in verse 30, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and you now see, and, and now hear that I still have. And so Paul was writing his heartfelt letter to his friends. And he's going, circumstances, difficult circumstances, they will come our way. But there's a way to have joy in these circumstances. And so let me do this as we wrap up today. If you're taking notes, I outline there's just five ways, I think, as we summarize what Paul said. Let me kind of, these are your Monday morning marching orders. It's one thing on Sunday morning to get inspired and like, yeah, God, this is right. But it's another thing on Monday morning to walk it out. And so let me give you just five principles from Paul's letter here that we can walk in joy even when our circumstances are not what we want. Here's the first one. Ask God to show you the situation from his perspective. The reason we lose joy in our circumstances is because we're just looking at it on the way we see it. But God sees it in a totally, completely different way. We see right now, God sees tomorrow. We can barely see tomorrow, and he sees two years down the road. I'm, I'm not much of a golfer, but people like to have me on their team. And here's why they like to have me on their team. Anytime there's a scramble, I always get people, oh, come be on my team, come be on my team. And they always want me to putt first. And I'm thinking, wow, I must be a good golfer. They want me to putt first. Here's what I've learned. They know there's no way my ball will go in the hole. They're just trying to see how the green lies so they can line up their putt using my ball. And I noticed the first few times I'm going, yeah, I must be really good because they asked me to go first. And then as soon as I would putt, instead of getting right behind me and doing exactly what I did, they would go from the green from the other side and look at it from a different perspective. They'd stand over the ball. They're looking at a whole entire green. I'm going, guys. And here's what I realized. They knew my perspective was the wrong perspective because they saw how my ball went. So they're trying to gain the green, look at the green from a different perspective. The same principle works with us and God. All we can see is a very linear one perspective. And if we want to find joy in our, in our circumstances, we need to pray, God, help me to see this from your perspective. Here's number two. Don't try to understand what God is like from the middle of your circumstances. So you have two things going on here. One is don't try to see the perspective where, where, where you are as, and ask God to show you the right perspective. But this one is not about the perspective. This wasn't about God himself. 
You see, we get in the, right in the middle of a situation, right in the middle of negative, dirt, difficult circumstances, and we start asking God, why are you doing this? And we start trying to classify and clarify who God is in the middle of what's going on. That's the worst time in the world. If I invited you over tonight for dessert to my house and said, hey, we're going to have these some great desserts, come on over. And you sit down, you're ready for dessert, you've got your napkin there, you've got your fork there, and I put a couple of raw eggs on the table in front of you, and I put some flour and some oil on there. You're thinking, this is not going to be very good. You've got to wait till it's all mixed together and baked before it turns out good. Too many times we try to, and I'm not even sure this is the right word, we try to judge who God is. We try to determine who God is. We try to characterize who God is. And when we do it, we're right in the middle of everything. And God's going, would you just wait till I'm done? And then you'll see who I really am. You'll have the right perspective to know that I'm so much more than whatever you ever dreamed I would be. I've shared with y'all um, when I came here. Those eight months in between jobs waiting for God to take me to my next church. It was some hard days. And there was days I'm going, God, are you even listening to me? Like, have you not seen my life? That I've lived a really good life for you, God, for the past 25 years. Why can't you give me a job now? Had all these things. And I was like, God, what about you? Who are you? What are you trying to do here? I'm sure you might have had some of the same prayers yourself after I left. God, are we going through this again? Is the church going to survive? Why would you lead us through this, God? We're all asking these questions. We're all trying to go, God, 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 who are you? I think God was up in heaven going, hey, folks, I'm about to show you who I am. I'm about to show you who I am because I have more in store for you than you can comprehend right now. And if you don't understand who I am, you'll never be able to take the next step with me and where I'm going with you. So I think God was up in heaven going, stop trying to figure out who I am right now in the life of your personal life or your life of your church. I'm about to show you I am, but you got to get through this so you can see me in my fullness. And so in our lives, whatever you're going through right now, if there's a moment you're just going, God, I need, I want to, I feel like I need to just give up on you, God, because you're not who I thought you were. God just looks at us and says, I'm not done yet. Don't pass judgment till I show you completely who I am. Here's number three. Use the Bible to help you gain understanding and insight. Like many times we're praying, God, what are you trying to do and see? And we're trying to use our imagination to see God. We don't have to use our imagination to see God. He has shown us who he is through his word. And so many times people are like, oh, I've got a bad situation. Let me just see what God has to say about it and just open the Bible and just read a verse and hopefully you'll see God in that moment. And God can show them himself in that way. Or you'll go to some index and go, okay, let me see things about, about sickness and see what God has to say about sickness. And you can pick and choose verses and God can show himself that way to you. But here's what I found. The best way, most consistent way, the fullest way that God often reveals himself to us through his word is when we're just regularly reading his word. Stop trying to go find God in his word and let him reveal himself to you through his word. So here's my assignment for you. We're studying the book of Philippians all summer long. Every week, pick a different chapter of Philippians to read. This week, just read Philippians chapter 1. Next week, read Philippians chapter 2. The next week, 3. The next week, 4. When you're done and we're still going to the series, go back to chapter 1. And here's what I promise you. God will reveal more about your circumstance. Wait, wait, wait. He'll reveal about my circumstances. Keith, you don't know my circumstances. That may not have anything to do with what Paul's writing about. Oh, I know the power of the Holy Spirit in God's word. And I promise you that if you just methodically and just work through that, just consistently with the discipline, 
God will show you more about your situation than you ever could have dreamed he would show you. And so use the Bible to help you gain understanding. Here's number four. Adjust your life to what God is current. I'm sorry. Adjust your life to what you currently see God doing in your circumstances. Adjust your life to what you see God currently doing in your circumstances. You see, sometimes like, okay, God, what are you doing? And we try to fix it all right then. And God's going, no, 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 don't, don't get ahead of me. Just ask him today, God, what am I supposed to do today? Most of the times I've learned God is just interested, is interested in us taking a step instead of running on a marathon with him in our circumstances. Just do with what you have today. Do you know why we want to run so fast and not just take steps? Because we often think God is too slow. He may not be too slow. He's just not as fast as you want him to be. And so we want to run ahead and try to do this and this and this and this. And God's going, whoa, we're on a journey here together. Just do today with one step what you can do today. And that's all. Just adjust your life accordingly. And here's the last thing I wrap up with. Believe that God will never demonstrate anything but absolute love for you. I think it's normal but not good that when things aren't going our way, we begin to question, God, do you love me? That's because we base our love on such a feeling, not a fact. And here's what the Bible says. God will always love us. God will never forsake us. And so no matter what you're going through, we need to always recognize that he will demonstrate nothing but love for us. Anybody, when you had kids, ever had to spank your kids? Anybody put your kids in timeout? And while they look at you going, you don't love me. But you knew there was more character forming going on at that moment that was for their benefit for their entire life. And that you truly loved them more than they ever thought you could or would. And our circumstances of suffering. God is using and wanting us to allow these circumstances to mold us into the follower of Christ that he designed us to be. And his love will never be forsaken from us. I want to read something to you. This is going to be kind of off the chart here for a second. This past week, I met a man came out of the office. His name was Clarence. And I met a new friend this week. I was blessed by Clarence. And after he left, he, he sent me several pages, some things he's written. It's just, I want to close by reading you some of his testimony. And he said, so I'm offering this to you and the entire congregation at South Sub Church, if, if you would like to read it. He goes, in addition to the scriptures, I've included some of the godly wisdom Jesus has given me over the 83 years of my life. He says, I've cried my heart out since my wife's passing, but at Easter, he turned my grief into joy. In doing so, I find that God's word has come to life with a new understanding and touched my soul deeply. I think I told you this, but Jesus showed me that my tears water my soul, and in doing so, my spirit grows in the Lord. At any rate, I hope you find this rambling through this life helpful in knowing a bit more of where I've walked. I'm not going to read all of it to you, but there's just a couple more paragraphs that I just walked away going, Jesus, if I can't be like Paul, help me be like Clarence. Because somehow Clarence, in his difficulties of life, has found the joy that Paul talked about. 
He says, with your indulgence, I offer you the following account of what actually happened to me at age 35 when I wanted more from Christianity than I'd experienced up to that time. And yes, I was young once a long time ago. So to set the stage for the story I'm about to share, there's something you should know about me. I was an abused child. An abused child develops certain deep feelings of inadequacy, lack of self-confidence, and low self-esteem. In short, I felt that I was not good enough or worth much to anyone, much less God. So at age 35, I still did not know who I was in the eyes of God. All these things began to come together in 1974 over the next few years as Jesus answered my cries for help. He said, I was raised in the church and very active in all the aspects of its workings, but there was still something lacking for me. So I boldly spoke to Jesus and I asked him three things. Are you truly real? Do you always answer my prayers? And do you really love me? And he went on to share some different ways that he encountered Jesus. But at the very end, he said, these encounters with Jesus were only the beginning for many more events that have followed over the decades. And though Jesus, or through Jesus, I found out who I am. I am a child of God and inheritor of the kingdom of heaven. I am worth so much and I'm so important to God that he sent his son Jesus to die for me and provide me with a path to my heavenly father. Think of this, you and I are both loved and important to God of all creation. I found that in his love for me, there was no room for the anger and hatred that I had since childhood. So I gave these things to Jesus and I left them there. Jesus has taken my burdens upon himself that I might be free. I could walk a different life because I know this incredible love of Christ. I was on the path of becoming one with Jesus and God is good. And if you read more of his story, you just realize it was a life of difficult circumstances. But he finally said, my life will not be defined by my circumstances. My life will be found in the Jesus who is in control of all my circumstances. Here's what I pray for us as a church as we wrap up. That we would find his joy in all things. Regardless of what's going on, we will walk in the light of Jesus and find that joy. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. And Father, thank you that you gave us the Apostle Paul and his wisdom and his letters, not just the Philippians, but to us today. And I think I could confess for all of us, Jesus, that, that sometimes in circumstances we don't do so well. And our reactions and our responses are more about ourselves than they are about you. I pray, Jesus, that we would be focused on you and that we would see things from your perspective and that we respond out of your good grace that those around us would see a clearer picture of who you are. And God, in this, we will find joy in spite of our circumstances. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen.